Amen. Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be in the first 15 verses of chapter 11. We've been walking through a series now through 2 Corinthians where we're looking at gospel power and human weakness. How, yes, we are weak, but God meets us with his glorious and powerful and good gospel that is incomparable in our weakness. And this morning, we're going to talk about Paul's heart, Paul's heart for the church. He's going to reveal what's going on in his heart and why he talks the way he talks, why he lives the way he lives, why he serves for free the way he does. So he's going to talk about, he's going to reveal what's going on in his heart. But this is what I want us to get this morning, Christ Fellowship, is that what's going on in Paul's heart is not unique to an apostle. It should be going on in the heart of every pastor, every minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'll go on even further to say that it shouldn't even be unique to the hearts of pastors, but it should be unique to every believer who has the Spirit of God. That we would have a heart a divine jealousy, a loving humility for the church of Jesus Christ to love Jesus. So let's read from God's word this morning. It says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrain and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end 
will correspond to their deeds. Let's pray together. Lord, we come together as one body, as Christ Fellowship Church, Lord, and we ask that you would give us by the power of your spirit the same heart that the Apostle Paul has here. That you would give us a heart for ourselves, that we would be holy devoted, that we would be pure and sincere in our devotion to Christ. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart that we would want that for one another, that we would be deeply passionate for every brother and sister within our midst, that we could point them to Jesus. And so Lord, more than anything this morning, we need you to pour your love into our heart that we might know the fullness of your love for us so that we might love like you love. That we might know your jealousy for us so that we can be jealous for one another to love Jesus. So Lord, would you help us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the 2008 action thriller, Taken, maybe you've seen the movie, Brian Mills is an ex-CIA agent CIA agent played by Liam Neeson, who's trying as hard as he can to reconnect with his daughter any way that he can when the unthinkable happens. His daughter is traveling abroad in France, spending time with her friends, and while he's on the phone with her, she is taken. Here he is across the ocean, and his daughter has been kidnapped by traffickers and and held for ransom. Can you imagine? Can you just, for a second, put yourself in his shoes, especially if you have daughters, this is really easy, to put yourself in his shoes. Can you imagine being on the phone when all of that goes down? Can you imagine hearing her panic voice, hearing the voices of the men in over the phone in the background, hearing her breathing deeply as they're coming closer. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but do you know what this CIA agent does not do? He doesn't say, oh, well, that stinks. And then turn on the ball game. Let's get back to the NFL playoffs. He doesn't do that. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't sit still doing nothing. No, he jumps into action as quickly as possible. He actually warns the kidnappers without hesitation. I will look for you. I will find you. I will kill you. And he says very clearly in this movie, overflowing from his heart, his love for his daughter, he says, I would sacrifice anything to find her. I would sacrifice anything to find my daughter. What would you do if your daughter was taken? How would you feel if your daughter was deceived or taken advantage of or stolen away, you you wouldn't sit still. 
You wouldn't be okay. You would do everything possible you could to bring her back. And listen, this is, this is the heart of the Apostle Paul towards the church at Corinth. This is how he feels when, when his daughter, the church at Corinth, is being deceived. This is exactly how he feels when, when his daughter is being led astray from their devotion to Jesus to something else. The Apostle Paul in our passage this morning doesn't say, well, that stinks, you know, but you know, some church plants are just not going to make it. The one in Corinth just isn't going to make it. Oh, well, no big deal. He doesn't sit back and do nothing. No, he doesn't just not care at all about these wolves who are dressed in sheep clothing, looking to devour the sheep. No, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so Paul sees himself as this spiritual father who has betrothed the Corinthians to Christ. He has given them to be fully devoted to Jesus, their husband. And so he has a divine jealousy for their hearts to treasure Jesus. To treasure Jesus above everything else. To treasure Jesus more than anything else in their lives. Brothers and sisters, this should be your heart this morning too. Not just the heart of the pastors for the church, this should be your heart as a believer in Christ who loves Jesus and loves his people. You should have a divine jealousy, not only for your own affections for Jesus, but for everybody else in the church. You should walk in humility. You should walk in sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters in this church. You should be on guard for anyone or anything that could steal away your heart's affection. That, that could lead astray your mind's attention. That could guide your life's allegiance away from the only one who is worthy, and that's Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's learn about the heart that Paul has through the Spirit of God, through the love of God being poured on, out in His life, and how we should have that same heart. The first thing we see about Paul's heart that we should have is a, a divine jealousy for the church. A divine jealousy for the church. If you notice in our passage, Paul begins almost embarrassed. Like he's feeling like he needs to offer an apology because of the way that he's speaking to the church. He asked them to bear with him while he boasts a little bit in this chapter. His words are, are filled with what appears to listeners as foolishness. But I'm reading this passage this week and I'm thinking, Paul, don't be embarrassed for how you feel about the church. 
Don't be embarrassed by how you feel about your brothers and sisters. Don't give an apology for how you love and how you're jealous for them. Instead, we should be embarrassed for how little we love. We should be embarrassed by how, how little we are jealous for the hearts of our brothers and sisters. See, Paul, remember, he, he sees himself as a father to the Corinthians. He was the first to bring the good news of the gospel to him. He was the one who betrothed them, who gave his daughter, the Corinthians, to, the, to Jesus. He gave his daughter to be husband to Jesus. She was to be married to Christ, fully devoted to Jesus Christ and no one else. But as we see in our passage, things are changing in Corinth. Because listen to verse 3. It says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Just like Eve in the garden. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? Some of us are probably familiar with the story. Maybe some of us aren't. But Adam and Eve, the first humans that the Lord created, the, the humans were in the garden, and they were created for a deeply rich relationship with their Creator. Every day, the, God would come in the coolness of the day to be with them. From the beginning, they were to share in a deep fellowship. That means a fellowship where they could be fully known. They could be fully exposed before their creator and yet fully loved, fully loved by him. But something changed when the serpent came into the garden. When Satan came to deceive and to break up this fellowship. Remember how Satan, when he came to the garden, he, he didn't say, hey guys, it's me, your enemy. And, and I'm here today to still kill and destroy. That's why I'm here. Just want you to know, just want you to be ready, be on guard, because that's what I've here. That's what I've come to do. No, but instead, the Bible says. In Genesis and here, that he was cunning, that he was crafty, that he deceived their hearts with a simple question. Did, did God really say, did God really say that you couldn't eat out of any fruit in the garden? God hadn't said that. But he made her question God's word. He made her pause for just a second to, to take one click off of her God who she was created to know and love and just to doubt his goodness, to doubt his love for just a second. Well, Now Satan is doing the same thing in Corinth. He's deceiving the Corinthians, but instead of appearing as a serpent saying, did God really say He's appearing as these super apostles saying, is Jesus really enough? Is Jesus really enough? Was Jesus really weak? 
Was Jesus really weak? Would he want you to be weak? Jesus wasn't really humble. He he wasn't weak. Let's forget about the cross. No, let's talk about his power and glory. Let's talk about the power that we have. God doesn't want you to be weak. God doesn't want you to suffer. And they were twisting and distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. These super apostles are distracting them from Jesus, slightly altering the one true gospel. It's kind of like holding a compass in your hand and and you're trying to find true north. You're, You're trying to find the direction that you want to go, true north, and you don't need to veer off because that's the direction that you're headed. That's the direction, that's the place that you're headed. Well, Jesus is true north. And all our affection and all our attention should be directed towards Jesus. And Paul's saying here, just one click off of true north. Just one degree off of Jesus Christ, and it'll make all the difference in the world. It might not matter. It might not look like it matters the first 10 feet that you're walking, right? Just wait till you've gone 100 miles. Wait till you've gone 200 miles. Wait till you've gone 500 and 1,000 miles and you're no longer headed towards Jesus. Just one click. That's all it takes. One degree off of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Your thoughts have been led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, the true north of your soul. But the problem's not just in Corinth, right? I mean, we have churches today that are taking us off of true north. They're distracting us from Jesus Christ, who's worthy of every second of our pure and sincere devotion to him. Now, we got to be careful because false teachers can hold a Bible in their hands. And false teachers on TV can talk a little Bible, and we can turn on YouTube, and they can sprinkle in a little Jesus. When I was looking at this YouTube preacher the other day that a lot of people like to share, a lot of people like to listen to, and here are some of the talks on his YouTube page. How to build your vision. Proof you can make it. Know your worth. Unblock your heart. Destroy your labels. Stuck in your head? I mean, all this is just American radical individualism masquerading as Christianity. Radical individualism, making life all about me, pretending to be about Jesus. Listen, be careful when any preacher talks a lot about you and a little about Jesus. Be careful with any church that takes your eyes off of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Takes your eyes off of Jesus, the one who created all things and all things were created for his glory. 
who takes your eyes off Jesus and puts your eyes on yourself. Listen, none of us need more time looking at us. Like none of us need more time looking at ourselves. We spend all week long looking at ourselves. We have the TV telling us to look at ourselves. We have everybody on our social media telling us to think about ourselves. We don't need more time looking at us. We need more time looking at Jesus. To look away from us to the incomparable Christ. That's what he says in verse 4. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. He's saying, don't let this happen to you, church. Don't turn to another Jesus. What do we do then as God's people? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep looking at Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We behold Jesus. We come to this table every week to remember and rest, not in our enoughness, but in the enoughness of Jesus. We contemplate the love and the grace of Jesus for sinners not like us. That's what we do. Do you know how bankers learn what a counterfeit dollar looks like? Do you know how bankers, before they even start their job, do you know how they learn what it is that something is counterfeit? Well, they sit them in a room and they have them stare at the real dollar. They have them stare at the real dollar, the genuine real dollar, so that anything else that's not real, that's fake, can be exposed in a second. Do you know how we can spot a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit gospel. We just keep looking at Jesus. We just keep looking at the real Savior. We fix our eyes on the one true gospel. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So whatever Paul's about to say, he said, I gave you what was the most important thing to your life. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. These false teachers wanted to talk only about the power and the glory of Jesus and hide the cross. Paul says, I came to preach Christ and him crucified, not Christ and you magnified. I came to preach Christ and him crucified, not Christ and you magnified. Listen, brothers and sisters, we should be divinely, we should be divinely jealous for our hearts to be undistracted from Jesus. And we should have a divine jealousy for the hearts of our brothers and sisters to be undistracted by Jesus. That's what Paul's heart was. Is that your heart? Second, Paul had a humble love for the church. Verse 7 says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? He's saying, Was I wrong 
being selfless? Was I wrong to preach God's gospel free of charge? Now, if we know, if we've read our Bibles, if we read the, the uh, book of Acts, if we've read a bunch of Paul's letters, we know that Paul doesn't think it's wrong for, the, for people to preach the gospel and receive money. There are many churches in Macedonia, like Philippi, who's actually, they're supporting Paul's work while he's there in Corinth. Other churches who support the work. So the issue is not about a pastor being paid. We shouldn't question whether or not we should support our missionaries who are sharing the gospel. No, the issue is how these super apostles are demanding money. They're making it about the money. Actually, their goal, their aim is to get money. They were saying because they are the true apostles that they were worthy of this blessing. Because they were so gifted and they were so anointed and they were so eloquent and they were so much smarter than Paul, guess what? They deserved to receive money. In fact, they even criticized Paul for not receiving money for walking in weakness. They're discrediting Paul. If Paul won't take your money, he's not really an apostle. That's what they were saying. But what we see in Paul is something beautiful. We see a humble love like Jesus. Paul didn't just preach Christ and him crucified. Paul had a cross-shaped life. Paul had a cross-shaped shaped life. He he didn't come like these super apostles lusting for and, and grasping for glory, grasping for power. Instead, it says he humbled himself like Jesus. He didn't come, he says, to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. Instead, he came to relieve burdens with the gospel. He didn't want to preach or peddle the gospel for himself. No, he says, I came that I might give it free, freely, just as I received free grace from Jesus. And this morning, I want us to hear that we should have that same heart disposition that the Apostle Paul had. We should have a humble love, a humble, selfless love for Christ's fellowship like Paul had for Corinth. The church doesn't exist for my comfort and my ease. No, instead, I should walk in here on a Sunday morning saying, how can I relieve burdens in this place? Like, who can I pray for this morning? Who can I move towards this morning? How do I relieve burdens? How do I help people find a gentle and lowly Savior like I found in Jesus? The church doesn't exist so I can be served, so I can be made much of, so I can be exalted. No, I should walk in here saying, how can I be a humble servant? Selfless. Wanting to serve others. I love verse 11. Maybe my favorite verse when Paul says this. And why? He says, why do I do all this? Like, what's the reason I do all this? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. 
Paul is convinced that his humility flows from a deep love for the church, not out of self-love. Can you say that about Christ's fellowship this morning? Can you say it about your church? Can you say, God knows that I really love my church? We should say that as pastors, but again, We should say that every believer in Christ in here that calls this your faith family, God knows that I really love my church. It's not a place that's about me being exalted. It's not about me getting my way. It's not about my ease, my comfort, my preferences. It's not about me being served. It's about me humbling myself to love others. It was Paul's joy to be selfless and to serve others. Is that your joy? Do you have a humble love for God's people? Finally, he has a relentless concern for the church. Paul says in verse 12, and what I'm doing, I will continue to do. I'm going to keep doing. I won't stop doing, he's saying. I'm going to continue to have this divine jealousy for the church until I see Jesus. I'm going to continue to walk in humility just like Jesus. And he says, why do I do this? To undermine those super apostles, those celebrity pastors who are telling everybody that they're apostles of Jesus Christ. Because by the way they talk, And by the way they live, in what they're demanding, they're showing they're not one of us. They're showing that they weren't sent by Jesus. Paul offers some of his harshest and most direct critiques of them when he says this in verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul says that they're acting. They're they're playing a part. They're they're complete frauds. They're disguising themselves as apostles, saying that they're sent here by Jesus, while at the same time distracting people from Jesus. Again, like we said earlier, is this not exactly how the enemy works? I mean, that's why Paul's saying here, listen, you got to stay on guard. It's some of Jesus' last words. He's like, stay awake, be alert, be on guard, don't fall asleep. I mean, if y'all are anything like me, all this week when it's like 10 below weather, I think it is. I don't know. I'm not from Minnesota, so I don't know what's worse. But like, it was freezing. And I literally, when I go into hibernation, I understand the bears all week long. I just want to eat, sleep, call me in March, right? But that that same numbing effect, that same melatonin effect is what this world is doing to Christians who are falling asleep right now, who are not on guard for Satan's attacks. And Paul says, no wonder for, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
I know when we think of Satan or the devil, our mind goes to every cartoon we watch growing up, right? We see the men and the, the, the devil in the cartoon. But listen, Satan is not showing up with a pitchfork and a red suit with horns on his head. Satan is a lot smarter than that. Satan is a lot smarter than you. And he knows how to come, to, come at you when you least expect it in ways that you least expect it. John MacArthur says, Satan is most effective in the church when he comes, not as an open enemy, but as a false friend. Not when he persecutes the church, but when he joins it. Not when he attacks the pulpit, but when he stands in it. I think about Paul's words to the Ephesians. Paul gathers all the elders at Ephesus around the shoreline, and he, he's wanting to tell them goodbye. Listen to the warning that he tells the church leaders there in Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He's saying, be careful, pay careful attention for the church that you love, which Jesus loves more than you. And then he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul's saying the same thing here. You you should have a relentless concern for the church. We should be on guard. We should be alert. We should stay awake. For the, 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 our enemy, the lion, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, Peter says. Seeking to deceive the church. Listen, you should have a relentless concern for the church more than your job. Like more than your hobby, more than your favorite sports team that you are fixed on, that you are captivated by, that you won't take your eyes off for a second. You should keep your eyes on the church, that the church would love Jesus because the church is eternal. Because wolves, he says, Paul, will, Paul says, will rise up to distract disciples from Jesus. And draw disciples to themselves. Listen, if it happened in Ephesus and it happened in Corinth, it can happen in any church today. If we're not careful to fix our eyes on Jesus. We too can abandon our first love. The, the love of a beautiful Savior who lived and died in our place and rose again. We can let our guard down, Christ fellowship, and so we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We, we must wake up every morning saying, satisfy us this morning, this morning today, with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I want to be satisfied with Jesus. We cannot be too careful to guard our hearts, too careful to guard our minds. John Piper says, Satan devotes 168 hours a week 
trying to deceive you? Do you think you can maintain a renewed mind with a 10-minute glance at God's Word? A 10-minute glance at Jesus. Maybe an easy test for us every time we walk into a church or every time we can keep asking our hearts, does, does what I'm listening to fill my mind with thoughts of Jesus or with something else? Does what I'm hearing today stir up my love for Jesus or does it stir up my love for myself? In closing, let me ask you, are you filled with divine jealousy? Are you filled with a humble love? Are you filled with a relentless concern for the church of Christ called Christ Fellowship? Or is your heart filled with something else? <clears throat> Just like it was good and right for Liam Neeson to pursue his daughter across the world. Listen, even more so, we should relentlessly pursue the hearts of one another for Jesus at Christ Fellowship. Even more so. Jealousy itself, listen, jealousy itself is a distorted desire for something or someone that you want for you. So don't leave here saying, he just told us jealousy is a good thing. No, jealousy itself is wrong because it's a distorted desire for something or someone that you want for you. But divine jealousy is different. Because divine jealousy is a rightly ordered desire because it's you longing for Jesus to get the glory he deserves. It's a longing of your heart for every heart and mind in this room that you call brother and sister to cry, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of all my affection, all my attention, and all my pure and sincere devotion. Sinclair Ferguson says, everybody in the church at Corinth was jealous. Every single person was jealous. He said the false apostles were jealous. They were jealous of Paul and wanted the church for themselves. Paul was jealous for the church and wanted the church for Jesus. Is your heart filled with that divine jealousy for his church? For Christ's fellowship to be wholly devoted to Jesus. The good news this morning, though, is that our, our hope this morning is not ultimately in our jealousy for Jesus. Like our hope, we shouldn't leave here today thinking about how pure and how sincere our devotion is for Jesus. Because take a few seconds, take a few minutes to think about your own devotion, your own fixing your eyes on Jesus. And when I look at my devotion for a few minutes, for a few seconds, I can be highly disappointed in what I find there. No, our hope is in a Savior who would look at sinners like you and me and say, I will sacrifice anything to get her. 
I will sacrifice anything to find her. I will go from heaven to earth to pursue her for myself. See, Jesus didn't go to a cross for a pure and spotless bride, for a pure and wholly devoted and purely devoted bride. No, every single one of us have chased other lovers other than Jesus. Every single one of us has given our affection, our love that Jesus is worthy of to other sins, other idols. We've given away our mind's attention that should be fixed on Jesus, and we've devoted it wholly to other things other than Jesus. But the hope of the gospel is not our devotion, our sincerity, No, the hope of the gospel is our pure and sincere Savior who died to make us pure and sincere disciples. Our pure and devoted Savior who died for our sins to win us back to himself, who died so we can be wholly devoted, deeply known, deeply loved by him like we were created to do in the beginning. So this morning, even in this moment, let's look away from ourselves and let's look at the divine jealousy of Jesus for sinners like us. Let's look at the divine jealousy of Jesus for sinners like us until it stirs up divine jealousy for Jesus that his church might love and adore him for the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I ask that you would, Lord, by your glory, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, for your glory and by your grace, show us your divine love, your divine jealousy, your your relentless concern and pursuit of sinners like us to rescue us from our sin, to to rescue us from our idolatry, to, to rescue us from chasing other lovers rather than resting in your love for us. Lord, to know that you are love. It is enough, Lord, to know that you are love for us. Lord, I pray even with the Apostle Paul this morning. When he prays in Ephesians 3, for this reason, Lord, we bow this morning our knees before you, our good Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, Lord, that you might grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith this morning, that we, Lord, being rooted and grounded in love, that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth And to know, Lord, your love in Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, to you who is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask this morning or even think, Lord, according to your power that's at work within us, Lord, we want you to get glory in Christ's fellowship and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, would you fill us with your love? Lord, would you draw us with your jealousy that Jesus has for sinners like us? Lord, that we might be stirred up with a divine jealousy for one another. That we might have a humble love for one another. Lord, that we might have a relentless concern that we all treasure Jesus until the day we see his face. Lord, would you do this? For your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.